Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Care Home Option. Hello to our listeners and hello Drew. Hello Gabriella and hello listeners. Just again as we do in every episode, a very quick recap on the last episode which focused on when things go wrong, i.e. how to give feedback, whether it's possibly compliments but also complaints. Uh, And then we also talked about safeguarding. And what are we going to talk about today? In this episode, Drew, we are going to talk about dementia and dementia care. And I'm very excited that in today's episode, we are going to welcome our second guest of the series. Romy Picus is an occupational therapist who specializes in dementia care and creative ways of supporting those living with dementia and their families to live a better life with the condition. So I think that we will all learn a lot from her. What I think is important to bear in mind is that regardless of which type of dementia somebody has, the impact on them could be physical and or cognitive. Some people will have both developing over time. Others may only have one or the other. In this episode, we will focus primarily on cognitive impairments that can be caused by dementia and in the next episode we will focus more on the physical aspect of the condition. And you've had lots of experience yourself. I have. My first role was as a manager in a care home for people with dementia. It was almost 25 years ago and the dementia landscape so to speak was very very different from what it is today lots of improvements, lots of acknowledgement of dementia as a field of care that requires its own attention have been achieved during those years. At the time I joined, dementia was not really recognized as something that needs special skills, additional resources, staff and other. And what I found quite sad at the time was there was a terrible stigma to anyone with dementia and I came across many relatives who didn't want their relative to be in a home for people with dementia because of the stigma that it is attached. Not realizing that for somebody with dementia to be in a home where they don't understand dementia, dementia care was actually harmful for that person. They they actually were worse off than having to live with the stigma. But all that has changed. But I did develop passion. There were glimpses at the time of a new culture of dementia care. If anyone wants to follow it up, Tom Kitwood is the person who published lots of books and was really fundamental in getting that new culture known and embedded. And this is what we see in many, many places today. So it is something that I have campaigned for and worked for, for really my whole career. And that's why I wanted to also say a few things um, to emphasize that this is something that is still in progress. We are not necessarily where we want to be, but we're slowly getting there. 
And dementia can come in different forms, is that right? Yes, Drew. Dementia is an umbrella term for a variety of conditions uh, that fall under it. And it is, in general, these are all conditions that affect, affect the brain in a way that causes deficits in the function of the brain and are progressive. The main three types that people will probably come across, particularly when we're talking about older people, are Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's disease. People would hear that everywhere. It is the most prevalent form of dementia. And what happens is there are changes within the brains that are caused by a certain protein that exists in the body anyway, but it causes changes in the brain that therefore affect the functioning of the brain. The second one is vascular dementia, which is caused by small strokes, small bleedings in the brain, which in themselves may be transient, so they don't leave the impact that we may see in somebody but over time they will change actually the function of the brain because every time there is a little stroke a bleed it leaves its mark on that area of the brain which can have different effects depending on which area of the brain it occurs the last and probably the least of these three uh, forms of dementia is dementia with Lewy body. It's different again. Many times it has impact on mobility. There is some link connection with Parkinson's disease. It is creates other challenges because there may be hallucinations as well. So again, the impact on the person, on the support needs that they have may be different. We now understand what dementia is, please start telling us about what it's like to live with dementia. And some people say suffer from dementia. Yeah, I mentioned the new culture of dementia care and the attitude, which probably goes to other forms of conditions and disabilities, that we don't want to view people or to relate to people as victims. People live with a condition. Nobody wants to have it, but when you do, there is life with dementia. Progressive uh, route, the journey of dementia can take years before it becomes you know, really affecting the person, becomes almost an end of life scenario. And during those years, what we are trying to do is to enable people to remain as active, as independent, and as much of themselves as they can be. Now, the self that comes across may not be the same person that we knew. There are changes to personality sometimes or to behaviors. Inhibitions may fall down and people express themselves differently. But they're still a person with a personality and 
when I used to work in, in that first care home that I described, and we had additional issues there because many of the people there were victims of atrocities in Second World War. So Survivors of atrocities. Yes, of course. Mm. And what happens with dementia, which I think people are familiar with, that the short-term memory may be eroded but the long-term memory so people talk a lot about the past and they sometimes think they live in the past they sometimes see themselves as a little girl that they can see in a photograph they may ask when is my mum coming back home but when that past is traumatic and there may be different traumas these can surface and be as real to those people so it is very important again this is where family and friends people who know the person are really important when you talked about care plans and how to plan for somebody's support because it is important to highlight that so that the care team can understand what a distressed behavior could be a result of they may not be able to say that of course but going back to a person living with dementia and here more than anything else, the people surrounding them, the family, it's a challenge. It is hard. It changes everything. Some people that I have come across with dementia are anxious, have paranoid thoughts feel that people are stealing from them and for them it's a reality maybe showing aggressive behavior maybe that is because they are scared because they are anxious they may feel lost all the time it's not a nice feeling for anyone and others actually kind of find themselves and are contented within their own new state and can in many ways enjoy life and actually find ways of being that they have not been able to be before maybe much more light-hearted they start drawing or dancing and are happy with that i think that for the family it is always very difficult because the person that you knew is changing and it's it's difficult to accept when people notice somebody's behavior changing it's good to go to the doctor it's good to try and find out it may be something different sometimes with older people in particular uh, urinary tract infection uti or any other may cause symptoms that are temporary but are very similar confusion etc so once they are ruled out and they're given uh, antibiotics we're back on track. So not every time this is uh, symptoms like that are shown, it is a sign of dementia, but it's better to check it out. Well, Gabriella, I think it's time for our specialist guest on dementia. Why don't you introduce her and we'll see what we have to say. Romy, Romy Picus, thank you so much for joining us today and um, lending or and sharing with us and our audience, your experiences, your expertise uh, and knowledge and advice on uh, working and supporting people with dementia. And 
please start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Thank you both for having me here. Uh, so yes, my name is Romy. I have worked with people living with dementia basically since I qualified as an occupational therapist, which was 14 years ago. And I have, I never intended to work with older people. I finished my degree and it just so happened that the first job I got was with the Alzheimer's Society. And there started my passion and love for, for working with people living with dementia. It was never, it was just, I fell into it. Let's put it that way. Um, I'm from Australia originally, if you can't pick up from my accent, but I have spent most of my working career here in London. So most of my experiences in the London system, I have worked for several different organizations from the starting process. So I, I worked for a memory clinic when you're first going through the the diagnosis phase and then all the way till the I spent a few years after that working in a massive organization with a lot of care homes and day centers so I, I really got experience working with people in the early stages all the way till the final stages of living with dementia. So Romy um, you mentioned the beginning of uh, the journey through dementia um, I know that people sometimes are reluctant to get a diagnosis when they maybe notice some changes. Could you explain why it is important to go and see somebody and to try and get a diagnosis? I think the, the point of early diagnosis, in my opinion, and from an occupational therapy perspective, is to try and start to adapt the environment around you. Do you agree that actually one can look forward, even after diagnosis, to actually have a good run at having life? Oh, absolutely. That, that, that was exactly the point I was trying to make, is that I think the, the way the medical system tells you how to manage it is not at all correct. Okay. Because my training, and we'll get onto this, the specialty, what I'm specialised in, uh, is all about how you can live well despite having dementia, how you can continue to live your life in much the same way as you have with maybe slight adaptations and that life doesn't have to, to stop being fun and enjoyable and educational and exciting. The perception is you get a diagnosis of dementia and you can't learn any new skills because your memory's going to go or whatever will happen but actually that's 100% not the case. You know, there is so much life to be lived and I think if people were given a more positive spin at the time of diagnosis and given more positive reinforcement as to what you still can do and what you still should do that maybe people would live much what much better lives than than a lot of people do early diagnosis is 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 great as i said in the sense that you can start to train yourself in slightly different ways of doing things or as i said before adapt the environment around you so you can you can prepare yourself at a time when things are relatively manageable so as the as the disease progresses because it is progressive that is the nature of it you're at least a little bit more prepared for what's to come and hopefully you can slow down that progression with the techniques that you put in place earlier on okay we we have mentioned i have mentioned um the kind of new culture of dementia care and the progress that has been made is being made uh, in line with what you're saying, that somebody with dementia has 
the right to be as independent, as dignified and respected and enjoy life in whatever form it comes as anybody else. And actually it is the responsibility of society, of care providers to enable that and to make it more possible, like with a physical disability, mm-hmm. that people learn to live with it. But we need to try and help the person to retain as much of their old, old self as possible, but also to express the new self that is emerging mm-hmm. side by side. What? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, as a society, like you mentioned, we are moving towards being more aware of of certain disabilities and how to be inclusive you know we put lifts in every building and we put ramps everywhere so that anybody can access any floor of the building and what we need to start asking is where are these cognitive ramps for people living with dementia so you know you would never say to someone in a wheelchair oh you know you used to be able to walk so you know today the lift is broken you need to take the stairs sorry you know you used to know how to walk so surely you know if you just have to walk today it will be okay you would never say that to someone in a wheelchair and yet how often do we see people asking somebody with dementia what's my name mum you used to know my name you know you know who I am go on you know asking them a question about a part of their brain or a part of their body that isn't working as well. It's the exact same thing. And I think as a society, we need to be more aware of that, that having dementia is a disability. Yes, it is a disease, but if we look at it as a disability, we stop seeing it as this negative downward hill sort of you know, mm. progressive disease. And we start to see it as something that we can help and we can do things in the, the world around them to make life easier. You know, one of the smallest things that I always tell people to do is wear a name badge. It's it's the most simplest way to assist someone who has a memory impairment. Again, quizzing them on their memory is not going to bring it back. Whereas if you just walk in with your name badge, you immediately take away that level of embarrassment and shame that they might feel. Especially if you walk into a room and say, hi, mum, and they can't remember their own child's name. You know, we have to start thinking what that will do to someone's self-esteem, what that will do to the way they feel about themselves. Imagine how much better it would be if you walked in saying, hi, mum, and they could see, you know, your name, Gabriella, there, and then they don't have to have that shame and low self-esteem attached. Romy, um, you mentioned disability uh, and that that way of thinking about it also reminded me of another aspect, uh, which, again, happens probably everywhere, but in a care home, it's more prominent, is that people may uh, become known as being incontinent. In other words, they don't go to the toilet um, or in the soil or wet themselves. And obviously that has all sorts of health implications as well as dignity and, and the shame and, and, and embarrassment because no grown person would accept that. Um, and often people think, oh yes, because they have dementia. But I know that, again, there is a great drive to make sure that if people know where the toilet is, if the signs are such that they understand, actually, it's not a physical condition that they can't control their bladder. Actually, they don't remember where the toilet even is, even if they used it 10 minutes ago. Is Mm -hmm. that 
one of hundred percent i think you touched on a couple of really important points is that a the idea of labeling someone and just saying well that's just because of the dementia because again as soon as you say something like that it implies there's no hope and there's nothing you can do oh well they're incontinent because of the dementia we need to stop giving labels so flippantly and so easily and we also need to stop feeling like there's no hope in these situations but the next point you touched on is is exactly what I'm specialized in. I, I was very fortunate to train under Dr. Cameron Camp in the Montessori approach to living with dementia. I won't go into it now, um, but it's based on the educational principles. So if anyone's ever heard of a Montessori school, it's based on those techniques and principles. And Dr. Cameron Camp very successfully applied those learning methods to people living with Alzheimer's with great success. And what Montessori focuses on quite heavily is the idea of the prepared environment. So as you mentioned, Gabby, if a person can't remember where a toilet is, then if they go and, you know, relieve themselves in a pot plant or relieve themselves where they are, exactly that, people will get upset with them. However, if you simply put up some signage directing them to the toilet, but then also training them how to to look for that signage, then you see the problem go away. And I, I had that that exact example several times in my work where care staff were getting very upset with a certain person who, yeah, up until just last week was, was able to use the toilet independently and now couldn't find it and was soiling himself. And I, I, told, I said to the staff, it's not enough just to put the signs up because you have to remember these are people with memory impairments. So you may put the sign up and say to them, there's the sign, but in five minutes they've forgotten that it's there. So what the Montessori approach does is focus on procedural memory. Now, we know in, in care homes, if you go and sit in someone's seat at a mealtime, all hell will break loose, right? It's their chair. They know where they sit at every single mealtime. But they had dementia when they moved into the care home. So how do they remember where they sit? Because okay. it's a procedure. They do it every day, three times a day. They are taken to that same spot. So... That is just a, a, a small example of, of proving to you that people with dementia can learn new things. And so if you train the person to look for that signage, for example, asking them, where's the toilet? Don't wait for them to need it. Whenever you walk past, say, excuse me, I'm new here. I don't know where the bathroom is. You can do that in your house as well. It doesn't have to just be in a care mm. home. But training the person to look for that signage, eventually it will become procedural and they'll remember to get, before they even realise what they're doing, their feet will be carrying them to the toilet. But also, actually, the fact that you are asking them helps their self-esteem. They're not just a passive person who doesn't know anything. And we know people had jobs, people raised children, people solved problems, mm-hmm. uh, had holidays, whatever. They had a full life. Oh, yeah. um, and treating them as somebody who knows something, even if they don't know, but we're asking them, mm-hmm. surely that does a lot. Well, 100%. Going back to your, your previous question of what it's like for people who have this diagnosis, a lot of them will say, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm fine, I'm fine. But of course, they're aware that something is wrong. And of course, they know that they are forgetting things or they don't remember where they put this or whatever it may be. And exactly that, their self-esteem is constantly being affected. And then... When you get society and the medical system and their families very lovingly stepping in to try and help them, all that essentially is telling them is all the things they can't do. And so that self-esteem gets lower and lower and lower. And we start to step in and do things for them. 
And that is one of the, the biggest principles of the Montessori approach is that we need to start empowering them and giving them their independence back and focusing on the things that they do know. And as you said before, asking them for help, asking them to, you know, do the things that they used to do, maybe in a different way, but in such a way that their self-esteem starts to build up again. And the more they feel confident and they feel good in themselves, you'll see they'll start to experiment more and want to do more and want to be involved more. But I think it's also about wanting them to achieve success. And in doing that, it's about asking them about things that are familiar to them. So one of the, you know, the, the most simple things when people come and they say, I don't know what to do with my, my father, my husband, my wife, you know, they used to have such a full life. They used to do so many things and now they just sit in their chair and they don't want to go out and they don't want to go into the garden and they don't want to do, you know, I give them arts and crafts or I take them to music or whatever it may be. I always say start with something that was really familiar to them and something that was a household chore, you know, for example, sorting the socks, sorting the cutlery, uh, folding t-shirts, something that's very repetitive and something that is very low risk. So you see, if it's low risk, that is then something that they can feel good about. Again, if we give them a task that's too difficult and then they realize they can't do it anymore, that's going to hurt their self-esteem. So that's why I suggest very simple, repetitive tasks to begin with and then to build up. Our podcasts um, are titled The Care Home Option and... We know that some people at some point may consider that, but also people live at home. More people live in their own homes uh, than others. And our our listeners will probably find it very helpful to hear from you how they can adapt or their own routines. How can somebody who is looking after supporting somebody with dementia at home how can they look after themselves because we know they need to be but also uh, how they can make um, the environment such that the person with dementia can thrive as much as possible so when we're looking at the environment we look at it in terms of two different things the one that I'll focus on now is about how we can put things into the environment that the person can't retain. So if they've forgotten where the mugs and the coffee are, how can we put that information into the environment in a way that's accessible and visible to them? Well, a very simple way is to put a coffee and tea station out on the counter, you know, with mugs, the coffee, the tea, the sugar, whatever they may need, have it visible so they they, they can walk into the kitchen and see it right there. And then, you know, start that process of making a cup of tea as opposed to going and opening every single cupboard, trying to find it and getting in a, in a you know, in a half. Another thing that you could do if, if money is available to you is changing your cupboard doors and putting glass on the cabinet doors so that you can see what's actually in each cabinet. That's another really simple way of helping the person adapt in their home. Some of the suggestions I make may not be you know, as I said, putting up a sign on the toilet door might not seem like something you'd want to do in your house. However, it can be the difference between your sanity and your insanity. You know, if they're asking you where the toilet is 50 times a day, yes, it might be an eyesore to have a sign on the wall saying toilet in that direction, but wouldn't that be better than 
them coming and asking you that question over and over again. So it's it's there are things that might seem bizarre or you know you know you'd think well that that we're not in this isn't a care home this is our home we want it to still look homely but at the end of the day if it's going to to save your sanity and make you a lot more patient with them and again that is a technique I've used with many many carers that I've supported in the past simply putting a sign in their in their eye line so if they have a specific chair in the lounge that faces a wall, put it right in front of them so that they don't have to look for it. And then if they do just look straight ahead, they'll see that toilet symbol and they can go right ahead. Mm. So again, it's about think, you know, and again, I think we often try and come up with solutions on our own, but ask the person. I think that's, that's the first and most important question I would say in any of these scenarios is ask the person what would help them. You know, what What would, you know, if, if you're going to put up a, a toilet sign, what picture would they need to see for them to recognize a toilet? Does it need to be the, the man and the woman symbol? Does it need to be a picture of an actual toilet? Does it need to be the words? You know, there's no point in, in making it if it's not going to be useful for them. I like the example about the tea and coffee. There is a, a tendency to assume that somebody with dementia can't make a cup of tea or coffee. A drink, um, a because they scold themselves, uh, or they don't, they don't know how to make a coffee, a, a drink. But what you're saying, actually, it could be that if it was there, they're perfectly okay. And if there's nothing wrong with their arms, then then they will know. They will be able to pour it in. And the same with getting dressed. So a lot of the, as with the toilet, people can do something. If we kind of start them off and give them the, 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 mm-hmm. bring them to the starting line. Yeah. And if we don't do that, it may hasten the, the deterioration in, in day-to-day functioning, mm-hmm. which then may even lead to them ending up in a care home or some facility when maybe it isn't quite the right time. Absolutely. I can't advocate enough for having older people use their hands use their legs use whatever muscles they still have left because if we step in and make that cup of tea every time they go to do it even if you're worried about them burning themselves let them do every step along the way and you pour the hot water in you know if if they have function of their hands there's no reason for you to be stirring the sugar into the tea if they have function of their hands there's no reason for you to be pairing the socks if that's something that they can do so you know, the more you can keep those muscles and hands in play, then that's less that you'll have to do for them later on. Because if if their hands aren't working every day because we're doing everything for them, then eventually those hands won't work and then they won't be able to even feed themselves because Mm. of the muscle wastage. So it's hugely important not to assume, but to give them chances. And the other thing that's really, really important is to try and remember, you know, it's such a cliche saying, but it's it's the journey, not the destination. So if they're going to make a cup of tea, but they put the water in first and then the sugar and then the tea bag, and that's not the way that you or I would do it, you don't need to correct them. If they get there in the end, you know, that's that's the main thing. They'll make that cup of tea for themselves. So trying not to step in and do for them every time they make a mistake. Obviously, if they're in danger, or they're going to hurt themselves. Yes, do. But, you know, if it's putting on you know their sock before whatever it you know you don't need to step in and correct them all the time if the clothes don't quite match what difference does it make exactly exactly so 
if somebody lives at home, somebody with dementia, they have whatever support they need at home. We know that, especially in the first phase, people are quite good at kind of compensating and I don't necessarily want to say hiding, but it's not so obvious because they it's a familiar environment. They know how to move around and do everything. And people don't think, oh, they have dementia, but they're okay. They're managing. And if for whatever reason, the person then moves into a care home, um, I've heard often that relatives, the family, quite rightly are upset because they can see quite a step, a large deterioration uh, and think, oh, we shouldn't have brought them into a care home because look what happened. Could that be something that will be temporary and they can recover from? Oh, absolutely. I think I think it obviously depends on the person. It depends on the care home. Um, you know, many times in, in the organization that I used to work in, the, the care is found that after a few months of the person living in the care home, they were able to do more, you know, more than they were able to do when they were living at home. So it, it, it might be temporary. Again, you have to remember that moving into a care home is a huge life change. Uh, you know, all of us would struggle with that, never mind then having a memory impairment, confusion, problem solving issues, etc, etc. So it's, it's a huge life change. And just because there is a dip in their functioning, or they deteriorate a little bit, doesn't mean they won't recover some of that functioning once they've settled in and once they feel a lot more at home. And as I said, depending on the care home, you might find that actually they're doing a lot more for themselves because they've got extra support around them. There's the, there's people around all the time. They can be sociable a lot more than when they were by themselves. So it, it really depends. But I would say it's it's obviously hard to watch as a family, but don't, don't lose hope. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be how they are for the rest of time. And I think there's a lot, a lot of things that, you know, a lot of good things that can come out of being in a care home and a lot of strength that the person will, will gain from being there. You know, obviously just from an activity perspective, if they're living at home, many times the only activity is watching TV and maybe someone will visit throughout the day. Whereas in a care home, you have a vast array of different activities that you could get involved in and, you know, learn new things, practice new things, meet new people. And for the caregiver as well, um, it could be a the son or daughter. Often it could be a, a spouse who will be as well themselves probably having their own health or other issues. Living with somebody who may not sleep, who is uh, walking around and trying to maybe get out or not being able to leave them on their own and, I don't know, go to the hairdresser or to meet friends is over time a huge burden which so many people do lovingly and loyally and without being paid for um, but there is always the way of looking when the time is right and everybody is kind of accepting if let's say a spouse a partner is now in a care home with dementia it means that their partner who was the caregiver can sleep at night uh, have their own life and then when they come and visit or even take the person out it can be a nice 
experience. It's definitely something that I think needs to be more spoken about and discussed is carer burnout because so often the care the person caring for the person living with dementia will be so focused on that person's needs they'll neglect their own and carer burnout and their health issues will become potentially even more life-threatening so I think it is really important for carers to, to not be so hard on themselves if they get to the point when they physically cannot look after someone at home anymore that they're not failing that person and they're not doing the worst thing you know they're not horrible people they are just doing what is right for both of them and as you say then it can mean that their relationship can go back to being loving and interactive on a on a on an emotional level as opposed to on a care level where they're just focused on doing for that person as opposed to doing with them. Romy, we we spoke in in one of our first episodes uh, about how people can choose a potential care home for generally. But if people are looking specifically for somebody with dementia to go into a care home, what kind of things should they look out? So let's say they visit, what 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 would they want to see or what would you say if you, you don't want to see this? I think, as I say, from an occupational therapist, my perspective is, is a lot more to do with how are they spending their time uh, because it can be that a lot of that time is spent not doing much. So I would look out for what activities are available. Are they sat in a lounge with nothing but a tv in front of them or are there things available not locked up in cupboards that only staff can use i want to see open shelves with games books different activities i'd like to see dementia friendly signage so if the signs are too small and no one can read them then that's not a very dementia friendly place i want to see how the staff are interacting with people are they kind and polite and treating them with dignity and respect because you know I've, I've spent a lot of time in care homes and don't get me wrong, it's a very difficult environment. So I'm not saying if someone's sitting there screaming out for the toilet and no one comes within two minutes that it's a bad care home. That is bound to happen in any care home you go into. But it's more about how the staff respond whilst that person is waiting. Do they ignore them? Do they go over and say to them, I'm so sorry, I'll be with you in just two minutes. Please, will you just wait a little bit longer and speak to them respectfully? That's the sort of thing that I would look out for. And then it's about how the environment is set up. How does it does it look homely? Does it feel homely? You know, too often, you know, we see these care homes that either look exceptionally institutional. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to live somewhere that looks like an old hospital from the 50s. So that would be something I'm looking out for. On the other hand, in this day and age, we might look for a five-star hotel looking place, which again may not be appropriate for this generation. They might be looking for those hideous wallpapers and floral sofas that are familiar to them and that's what they grew up with. So I think looking at how the home is designed to make them feel at home, I think that's a huge point because so often we find people with dementia, you know, they might be waiting by the doors and wanting to leave and trying to get out. And again, going back to what we said earlier, the the response will be, oh, that's just dementia. You know, they don't remember where they are, so they try to get out. Whereas I say we need to be asking the question, what is it about this place that doesn't feel like home? What is it about this place that is making them feel like they need to escape? Because if they were engaged, 
in activities that are meaningful to them, in activities that interest them. I'm always searching for a homely feel and then how the staff work with those people. Do Mm. they treat them with dignity, respect and kindness? Are the tables set like you would for anyone else with salt and pepper and flowers Mm -hmm. rather than say, oh, we put plastic flowers because otherwise they'll eat them? Exactly. Are, are they allowed to? Are they allowed to go into certain spaces? You know, how often do you see staff in the kitchen telling? You know, and it might be a communal kitchen, but they'll say to the residents, they're not allowed to go in there. And I say, well, no, this is their home. You know, you go home at the end of the day. You have another home to get to. This is it for them. So we need to treat this space as it's their home. They're allowed to go to wherever they they need to. And if there are spaces that you don't want them to go to, how can you? camouflage them so that it doesn't look as though you know you know you've got dementia you can only be in this part then you make it more like a prison could you put a mural on the wall so that the door is disguised could you you know what can you do so that it doesn't feel so institutional you know staff only do not leave those sorts of things i think risk is such a delicate subject when we're talking about working with people with dementia because very often especially in today's very litigious society care homes and facilities are terrified of what will happen if if the worst were to happen you know if if they let everybody roam free in the care home and then someone got out and got lost and you know what could happen to them so I think we need to start thinking about how we can take positive risks with people just because they have dementia doesn't mean if they get outside of the building, they're going to run. You know, they might just want to go see the flowers in the car park or they might just want to go for a walk around the block. We don't know. The only way we could know is to risk assess and to and to try it out with the person. So I would say, you know, each, each you know, if you know somebody with dementia, you know one person with dementia. Every person mm-hmm. is going to be different and every person needs to be assessed differently. You can't give a blanket rule because there are certain people I know that I've worked with in households living with dementia because they had dementia, but were exceptionally high functioning and would have very safely been able to leave the building, walk down the street to the shops and come back completely unharmed. And yet they were trapped because they had dementia. So I think it's really about how we can work together to risk assess, you know, something again so small what about preparing food you know how many people in care homes are allowed to prepare their own food well no obviously a lot of them are catered but could they chop up their own vegetables for a fresh salad and then i'll inevitably get the question oh no but what if they cut themselves you know have both of you cut yourself Mm. while chopping vegetables before yeah okay well you're never allowed to use a knife ever Mm. again yeah you know it sounds ridiculous to say it to us but that that is actually what happens to people you know we need to think about positive risk taking so they chop a vegetable and they maybe cut their finger is it the worst thing in the world we don't know but is it if they never cut their finger and they're allowed to do that what's that going to do for their self-esteem and their their livelihood and at the end of the day who wants to spend the rest of your days wrapped in cotton wool But also somebody with dementia, unless they have a specific motor kind of Mm. um, impairment, if they cut vegetables before, used a knife before, that hasn't necessarily been impaired, so they can do it. Exactly, that's that's the point. It needs to be risk assessed. Obviously, if someone has motor difficulties, Mm. then yes, you might not want to give that person a knife. But 
if the person is perfectly capable of doing it, they should be allowed to. And so I think, you know, in those instances, a, a good care home will, will do risk assessments per, like for each person in terms of what they want to achieve. And again, if they have therapists on board that can then assess that person and, and find out what are the things they want to do, what's important to them. Some people don't want to ever make their food ever again. You know, they've spent 90 years cooking for themselves and they're very happy not to. Some others will get great joy out of that. And so we need to figure out how to allow them to keep doing these things. Romy, something that um, listeners may find helpful. Um, we all know that, although it doesn't affect everybody, some people are affected by dementia in terms of either their, in, their behaviors changing, and that can manifest itself by maybe showing aggressive behavior. It can be physical, it can be verbal, or lack of inhibitions, swearing or taking clothes off, um, etc. How does one respond if this happens? And how do they also make sure that they don't become a target of that? Well, I think the, the answer is somewhat in the question. What I was taught when I, when I did the, the Montessori approach is that we call these types of behaviors responsive behaviors. And the reason we call them that, so things like calling out aggression, asking the same questions over and over again, wondering <clears throat> with seemingly no purpose, all these sorts of things, we, we call them responsive behaviors because they are responding to something. You know, this idea that when someone gets dementia or has a diagnosis of dementia, they'll become aggressive just because of the dementia is, is again, a not it's not based in truth and it also says that there's no hope if it's just the dementia. Whereas if we say that the, they're acting like this because they are responding to something in the environment around them, then we can try and help. So what I would say in those scenarios is try and ask yourself, why is this happening? You know, why are they becoming aggressive? Is it because you're telling them they have to go to the doctor and they don't want to go or they don't understand or they need the toilet and they can't tell you? You know, there's very good tools and and um, models out there that, that you could use to try and figure out what why this behavior is happening in Australia the Alzheimer's Society called it the caused model so if you want to google caused model for responsive behaviors it's a really good tool for you to go through and figure out why why are they behaving like this is it that they've not understood what I've said is it the communication is it an unmet need they need the toilet they're not feeling well they're in pain you know all these sorts of things if someone can't communicate their emotions and their needs effectively then they might act out again it might be the way you've approached them you know if you if, if someone's hearing impaired and you come at them from behind so they can't hear that you're coming at them and you know you put your hand on their shoulder that might give them a fright and then they'll react aggressively so it's about how we behave to them first of all and but more often than not when we see these behaviors it's a response to something in the environment around them and what we know about dementia is that the further along the disease goes the more the environment will impact these behaviors so making sure their temperature regulated you know if it's really cold outside and they're wearing flip-flops that could be why they're becoming upset they're cold and they can't tell you so it's about asking why is this happening but if you're seeing that these behaviors are happening more and more regularly 
then you need to start asking yourself, when are they not happening? You know, what is it about the, the time when they're, they're calm and they're settled and they're not becoming upset? What is it about that scenario that's making them feel so calm and settled? And how can we recreate that? Often it's mealtimes, you know, at a mealtime, they know what's expected of them. It's something very familiar. They get to eat. We all mm. love food, you know. So oftentimes, often mealtimes will be when someone's the most settled. And is it because they've got attention? They've got focus. They've got someone sitting with them, you know, engaging with them. So I would say it's always a matter of figuring out what has caused the behavior. And, and if you can, keep, keep a diary. You'll notice patterns. You might think that it just happens out of you know completely randomly but actually whenever people have have written down diaries you know dad was angry this morning dad was angry at whatever they'll often discover there's a pattern and then you can try and figure out what's causing it but from the flip side from the carer's perspective the the most important thing is always obviously keeping yourself safe if someone is becoming really aggressive physically with you it's not going to help you to try and, and, you know, restrain them or hold them down. We, we would never say that. Rather remove yourself, you know, so remove yourself until they've calmed down. And a technique that I always tell carers to use, if you can do this, if you've got access to it, leave the space, wait a few minutes. And if you can change your shirt and change the clothing that, that you were wearing just before, gather yourself and go back in calm, loving, you know, really set that tone and in a different outfit, you know, that's when we say use the dementia as your friend and nine times out of 10, that will help settle the person. And I know in one example, you know, a wife was becoming very aggressive with her husband. He left the room, changed his shirt, came back in. And when she saw him, she said, oh, thank God you're here. You know, this horrible <laughs> man was trying to take me to the doctor. So, you know, it, it, but the most important thing is keeping yourself safe and keeping yourself calm. I think people need to kind of, once that principle, which you explained really well, um, is understood, kind of be creative. It's not, there isn't a manual, but do what you, what feels right. And especially when it's about family carers, you know the person, you know them, the essence of that person. They somewhere in there know you too. Romy, we spoke about so much and I think we could probably go on for a lot longer, but we won't. So before we say goodbye and thank you, is there anything that you feel that, you know, you you would like to share and we didn't get there? I think just to wrap up nicely, and it goes on from that point that we were just saying about the behaviours, is it's about giving the person living with dementia their control back. And, and making sure that they feel in control and they feel like they are a part of any decisions made about them. No matter how far along the dementia goes, we all want to feel like we are independent and responsible for our own lives. So I think as much as possible, if we can try to give that control back to the person living with dementia, we'll often see much better results because when they feel in control and they feel listened to and heard, then, you know, amazing things can start to happen. So I think that's just the point I want to finish on. Wow. Well, thank you for putting such a positive um, spin or or angle. Drew will say his bit, but from my point of view, Romy, thank you so much for coming and giving us your time. 
Thank you, Romy. So interesting. And in fact, it's always, it's, for most people, and certainly for me, dementia is quite a daunting and scary subject to talk about. But what you have shown us is that with a bit of enlightenment, it doesn't have to be that scary. It can be managed well. People still can live good lives, although different from they were they were before. So that concludes our first part talking about dementia. There's another part to come. Gabriella, what are we going to be talking about? Um, here we focused mainly on um, the behavioural and cognitive uh, impact of dementia on people who have the condition. And our next guest speaker, Porik Garrett, will be focusing more on the physical side, including sensory impairment and how dealing with those can again help people to live better lives. Well, some resources for you as always. The first is the Alzheimer's Society. And if you look at alzheimers.org.uk, there are many resources there for you. And if you go to Montessori, M-O-N-T-E-S-S-O-R-I, fortoday.com, montessorifortoday.com, and you search for dementia, you will find 15 best Montessori activities for dementia right there. And lastly, C-E-N, and then a number four, A-R-D, dot com. C-E-N-4-A-R-D.com. This is the Center for Applied Research in Dementia. And they can give you effective memory interventions that make a difference. So, until next time, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everybody.